Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Everybody good? You guys good? That's sort of weak, but it's spring break, so I'll give it to you. Uh, we're so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And for those of you who are joining us online, thank you as well. In fact, can we give those guys a hand real quick in the house? Would you guys say thank you? Love you guys. And I don't know if there's anybody out in the lobby today. There often is, but we love you guys too. And uh, sorry you have to sit out there. Anyway, so we're glad you're here, though. So glad you're here. Um, we're, we're in a brand new series uh, that we started last week called Fail Proof. And um, before I get there, I just want to remind you or, or sh- call attention to these cards that are in your seat. This is a little, we call these invite cards. Um, Easter's coming up. In fact, we've already started putting things out just to kind of remind you that it is. Um, we don't really advertise uh, in the community. Uh, we probably should. We just don't. Um, what we, we feel like the best source of advertisement uh, in, in any way, realm is that the people who attend or, or visit a business or whatever, they're the best um, marketing tools, right, for, for, for anybody. So our hope and our prayer is that those of you who would say this is home or, or we're checking this place out, that you would just bring your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Because how many of y'all know that Easter, Easter is one of those times where, and Christmas where people who never go to church, they come to church. Come on. And so we want to be ready for those folks, and we want to just love on them and, be, and, and make them feel as welcome as possible. So um, Friday, Good Friday, two gatherings. On Saturday, two gatherings. And then uh, our normal three on Sunday. And we'd love for you to help us just fill this place um, so that God can do what God does uh, the best. Um, in, in this series, Fail Proof, we're examining... What I would say is the little sighted work of Peter in his second letter to his, um, his friends. The, he's the pastor of a church that has been scattered abroad from persecution in the church in that first century by the Roman emperor Nero, who is pressuring churches, who's pressuring people. So these are men and women that Peter knew, loved, had done life with, and now they're, having, they're experiencing uh, pressure and stress and crises that they never imagined would be possible. Like they never dreamed all the things that were happening to them, all the things that were happening around them. So he's writing them a letter, concerned about their well-being, concerned about their faith. And so he's trying to teach them about how to grow and how to strengthen their faith and how to have a faith that, and I think it's in verse 10, he says will become, like it will not fail. You will not stumble, you will not fall. And, And so he says that, he starts out by saying we have all these treasures. We read this last week, 2 Peter chapter 1. We have all these treasures that God's given us. They're things he's already put inside of us. And he says, in fact, that we have everything that we need for life, which is comprehensive, like all of life, not just spiritual things. We have everything we need for life and, and for godliness. Nothing is missing. And then he goes and says, but in verse 5 he says, but I want you to make every effort to add to your faith um, goodness, meaning meaning that um, you are saved. He tells us that we're saved by the righteousness of Jesus, but we don't just get saved and then just stay there. Like, in, like, like a baby gets born as an infant, right? But we want it to grow. Can I get a witness, right? Some of you are like, slow down, right? I get that, but they're gonna grow. And, and, and we're meant to grow as well. We, we come into faith, but we are meant to grow. And so it takes effort. It takes work, not to be saved, right? But to grow our faith. And, and so Peter knows about this kind of fail-proof faith, because right before Jesus is going to be crucified, handed over um, to the authorities there, he tells Peter right to his face, 
He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired or has asked to sift all of you, all of the disciples, all the 12, to sift you as wheat, like to scatter you out to the wind. But then he goes and makes it personal. He says, but, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Not, not that you won't fail, Peter, because Peter fails almost immediately after this. And then he says, and, and, and after you have returned or after you've gotten back up, after you've fallen and you've gotten back up, go strengthen your brothers. And this is what this writing is, is this is Peter's attempt to do what Jesus said, which was to strengthen the people around him. Like after you've fallen, after you've gotten back up, strengthen them. So, so the series is about growth. The passage uh, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 is about growth. It's about spiritual formation. And, and the, the main goal of it, he says, is life and godliness and that we have the power of God, the divine power, he says in verse 3. We have the divine nature of God through the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and our lives. And, and then he, but, but we need to know this, that growth is gradual and it's progressive. It's, it's slow. I, I wanna, I'm gonna, before I get to the text, I want to say a few words because if you think that growth happens fast, you'll be frustrated and you'll quit. Come on, it's like weight loss. Come on, you know what I'm saying? If it's fast, it don't last. Come on. I am the living embodiment of this testimony, right? If it's fast, it don't last. I don't know if that's actually ever been said in human history before, but I just said it. Uh, trademark, trademark, hashtag trademark, in case, it's, in case it goes viral, all right? Um, I don't even know what that means. But anyways, it's, it's, it's gradual. It takes time. So, so what, what, what Peter's letting us know is that his divine power, his divine nature, throughout our lifetime, God is working on us from the inside out, but we can't see it all the time. We don't know it. We'll feel stuck. We'll feel trapped. We'll feel isolated. We'll feel uh, hopeless. But we need to know if you are a follower of Jesus, his divine power, his divine nature is always at work as you grow in your faith. And I'm saved, but I'm, now I'm to add to my faith. I'm supposed to grow up along the way, right? I'm supposed to grow in wisdom. I'm supposed to grow in knowledge. I'm supposed to grow my character. God is growing my character and, and, and he's growing me in my love for him and for other people. I'm not participating in my salvation because that's, Jesus did all of that. But now I'm working out, I'm working out what he's put in. That's what I'm saying here. And so Peter says we're to add to our faith, we're to work it out, these seven virtues, which the early church fathers called the capital virtues. They were the sort of heavier counterweight to what um, Pope Gregory called the, the seven deadly sins. Right, pride, greed, lust, sloth, all of this stuff. Like he says, this is how we counteract that. And he says, make every effort to add, and the word add in the Greek means to invest. Make every effort to invest in your faith. So, so, so we'll think that faith means I show up to church once a month or I, and I sing a song and I, you know, I throw a dollar or whatever. In the, no, 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 it's investment. Like it's not about just showing up here. We love that you're here. We love that you're watching, but it's about investment on a day-to-day thing. So it, there's a cost, there's a, there's a price. So Peter goes from a failure to flourishing, but it takes years, a lifetime of this. And, and, and we know that his, he has something to say about this because in the face of, of martyrdom, Peter dies, tradition tells us, from a cross, hanging upside down for his faith. So all the way to the very end, his, his life, his faith does not fail him. And so he's invested in it. And, and the goal of investment is, is what? To put money, to put investment into something that grows over time. Yes, right? 
It multiplies. And so in verse 8, he says, if you, have, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, right? It's just, it's being multiplied slowly over time, over time. So the series is about growth, but there's two kinds of growth. I just need to tell you this and then we'll get, I promise. There is what I'd call mechanical growth, meaning you take something from the outside and you add it to something. So, so this building that we're in today, um, two and a half years ago, it was a slab, right? And then the very first thing I saw them do was they brought a massive beam, like a 40-foot beam, and they put it up there. That was the first thing. And over the next months, they began to add. They began to bring in stuff, and it was like add sheet metal to the roof, and then they added sheet metal to the outside, and they were putting stuff in, and it was, it was welding, and they were adding, and they were attaching, and, 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 it was gr- and the building grew into the building it is now. But this building as a building is lifeless, has no soul, right? You're like, what? No, it's a building, everybody, right? What makes it what it is is God's presence in you. God's word, God's presence in you makes it what it is. But it is a, it is a lifeless structure, but it did grow, right? That's mechanical growth, outside in. But there's another kind of growth that is organic. Like a flower doesn't grow because we add stuff to it. Like, well, yeah, you've seen how much... Um, like fertilizer I had to put on my flowers to get them to grow, right? But in nature, they don't need fertilizer, right? They just grow. They, they grow They grow because they have DNA inside of them. They grow, they, the Bible says that seeds reproduce after their own kind. They grow because they have a life force within them. A baby grows because it has a life force within them. Not because we're adding things to our baby. Now you dress them up and you give them bottles and all that. But they grow by nature, right? Organically. And so the difference between being a Christian uh, and, and just a good moral person is you can add good morality, good practices of morality over time. Uh, but, but, but being a good moral person, you can just stack up moral deeds and, and even religious activities. And you can read your Bible and you can pray even. And you can go to church even and, and be active and not actually be getting wiser and better and, and, and more loving and more kind, right? Plenty of Christians who've been Christians a long time get bitterer and bitterer. That's not even a word. More and more bitter, right? And, and hostile. And you're like how do you serve the same God as I do, right? Come on, we've seen this. But, but now because of the divine nature, the divine power of God that Peter says is inside of us, um, you have internal growth over time, slowly over time. Something's happening from the inside, a life force, the, the divine nature. Because not, why are you changing over time? Not, not because you're just simply trying harder, not just because you're beating your will into becoming a better person. Something's changed your very identity. Something's changed, uh, come inside and change the way your very heart is structured. We get a new heart. And over time, we change so drastically that we don't even know how much we've changed, but we see somebody that we haven't seen in a long time. They're like, dude, what happened to you? I, I just got bald, man. No, 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 something else, right? right? Something else happened to you. So it's not just mechanical. It's organic. It's spirit-led. It's spirit-breathed, okay? So that's, that's growth, and that's at the heart of the text. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, because you have everything you need, he says, for life and godliness, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, goodness, knowledge, that's verse 5. And we're going to talk about goodness and knowledge today. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure over time, over time, drip, 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 stack, 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 gain, 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 they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about the foundation of this kind of house that we're building, this godly house that we're building that is ourselves. And that we start with the word faith. He says, add to your faith. And we said that what Peter intended, I think that what Peter intended, this is my opinion, 
is that faith is the conviction that God is who he said he is, right? And that God can do what he said he can do, right? So, so Hebrews chapter 11 says that, that anybody who comes to God must believe that he exists, that, that he is, and that he is what he said he is, or who he said he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him, right? So faith is that God exists, is the trust, the conviction, the belief, the, the assurance that God exists, even though I can't see him, and that he is, he does, he's good. He exists and, and he's good. So, so we're supposed to add to that foundation goodness. But what is goodness, right? What, what is goodness? And I think if I went around the room like talk show style and said, what is goodness? I think we'd have a lot of different answers to what is goodness. But I think the, the general theme would be that goodness is doing good things, right? We're supposed to add to our faith, you know, doing good and helping people. And, 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 and it's just something that you do. And of course, that's part of it, and that's, that's a good thing to do. But the word that Peter uses for, in the Greek for goodness is not something that you do, it's something that you are, right? He's not talking about doing good, he's talking about being good. So let me explain to you why the distinction is important. Anybody can do good, yes or no, right? You don't have to be a good person to do a good thing, right? The history tells us that Hitler did good things for the children of Germany, but Hitler was definitely not a good person. And I know that you have to be careful now because people have all kinds of, uh, anyways, I'm just gonna move right on. Um, <laughs> terrified to say anything anymore. Can I get an amen, somebody, right? What do you mean about Hitler? He was a good man. No, no he wasn't. Anyways, um, <clears throat> it's a different world, y'all. Come on, everybody know what I'm talking about? But, but the, the word that Peter uses in the Greek is this word, arete. But by the way, can I just say this? I don't know Greek or Hebrew. Like some pastors do and they're like next level. Like I'm this kind of level, right? right so I go look and figure out how to, like I had to go and go, YouTube has a guy that'll tell you how to say these, these Greek words. I did that. Come on, somebody. Like, like why are you throwing yourself under the bus, pastor? Because I want you to know that you don't have to be next level to study God's word. You don't have to be next level. You don't have to have a degree to, to dig in and understand this for yourself. You can do just exactly what I did. There are research tools. out. It's all out there. You don't have to be like Dr. So-and-so to learn God's word. Okay? So I don't know what this word means until I looked it up. You're welcome. <laughs> this is your pastor? Yeah, anyways. Guess, right? It's often translated as virtue, but here's what it means. Essential, meaning you can't, you can't do without it. Intrinsic, goodness. Intrinsic just means it's, 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 it's who you are. It's inside of you. It's inside out. Like, like it's just a, who the person is. It just means that a person's goodness is always on. It's not a switch that we turn off and on, depending if the cameras are there, depending on who's watching. It's who we are in the dark when no one's around, right? It's, it's, it's the ability to love the unlovable, to show kindness even in the face of hatred or injustice. Forgive the unforgivable, but, but, but it's not natural to be able to do any of these things, right? It comes to us via the divine nature, which, God, which Peter said God has given us when we believe, right? Because we simply cannot be good on our own. We can do good things, but we cannot be good on our own. So, so Peter chooses a word. There's other words, Greek words, he could have used that to talk about doing good, but he chooses one that has primarily to do with who we are, 
rather than what we do. Will it motivate us to do good? Absolutely it will. But it's something, first of all, that we are. So goodness then is the character and the nature of God within us, right? It's living, it's active, it's flourishing, it's growing. We don't see it because it's slow. It's drip, 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 right? And remember, faith is that God exists and that God is good, right? And, and, and fundamentally, God is good. So, so here's how this works. So what God does is preceded by who God is. In, in other words, God's actions uh, to, to, to mankind emanate from his character, from who he is innately, right? And who he is, is good. And so, so like Jeremiah 32, he says, I'm gonna, he says through the, the prophet Jeremiah, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And he says, and I will never stop doing good to them. James says that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights with whom there is no shadows or variableness of turning, meaning God doesn't shift and change over time. He's good, right? So God's goodness then is not simply one of God's attributes. It's his very essence. So when his, his, when his nature starts to grow and flourish inside of us, then goodness emanates. So Peter says, add to your faith goodness. And this is more than just doing good deeds for people occasionally. And this is also more than avoiding the bad things. So religion says, do good things, avoid bad things. Right? That's religion. But this is different. This is an invitation to um, experience the very nature of God. And this is why Peter says in verse 4, we get to participate in the divine nature. The divine nature of God is good. Right? So, so let me show you, though, how we can get this wrong over time. Because the nature of people, religious people, is to start going, yes, the gospel, God saves me. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. Yes, God, in your goodness. But over time, over time, as we become believers, we start going back to our ways of, I want to try to save myself. Yes, God saved me, but now through my own efforts, my own goodness, I'll sort of keep myself saved. That's, that's religion. So there's a story um, that is told in the gospels, both in Mark and Matthew, um, about a guy named, that we call, because we don't know his name, the rich young ruler. It says that a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Mark says that he actually falls down at his feet. He seems to have it all. He's wealthy, he's young, he's pious. He's been obeying all the laws of Moses, right? He runs up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Matthew says it in a slightly different way, but it's significant. He says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life, right? So even though he looks like he has it all together, because he has everything that anybody could ever want, he realizes something's not right. He realizes something's missing or else he wouldn't have this conversation to begin with. Why would he seek out Jesus, the rabbi, to ask him, what do I need to do? Because he's already been doing all the things that he needs to do. He already knows that he's doing all the right things. What he's looking for is verification from Jesus that all the good things that I'm doing are enough to get me to heaven. That's what he's looking for. I, I love how Tim Keller um, describes the young rich, rich young ruler in his book, Jesus the King, he says, I'm gonna read it. Of course he was missing something because anyone who counts on what they are doing to get eternal life will find that in spite of everything they've accomplished, there's an emptiness, there's an insecurity, there's a doubt. I lived with this my whole life. Something is bound to be missing. How can anyone ever know whether they are good enough? How can anybody ever know that? So there's this doubt, there's this insecurity have I, is my pile of good outweighing my pile of bad? That's karma. That's not what Christianity is about, right? 
So, so Jesus, as he often does in these interactions, sees beneath the surface of something deeper that's going on. And so he pushes back on this man's idea of goodness. The man had boiled goodness, as we often do as well, to a list of things you do or things that you don't do. And this idea of a list of things that we do and don't do is very attractive to us as we get older. Because it's like, it's like if I have a list of things that I can check off, boxes that I can check off, then I can know, I can verify, I can quantify, I can qualify that I'm good enough, Right? And so the idea of, of having something concrete that we can do to add goodness to our faith, right, feels more doable than just merely or simply knowing the one who is actually good enough, well enough, that through him and him alone, we start to become good, right? Whereby goodness emanates from us, and it's, it's, it's what we do because it's who we are. So Jesus is saying to the man in this passage, by the time he gets to the end of it, you have put your faith, this is what's implicit, it's not said, it's what's implied. You've put your faith and trust in your wealth and your accomplishments and your religious goodness. You've done it very well. And, and in fact, there's a, there's a part where I've never really noticed it and it says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Like he has compassion, he's relating to him. You've put your faith and trust in your wealth, your accomplishments, and your religious goodness, but your efforts at, at, at goodness is actually alienating you from God himself, which is why you feel empty, why, you're, why you feel something's missing. You don't actually know God, right? So, so, so this is why Tim Keller says right now, God is your boss, but God is not your savior. You, you, can, you can't earn your way by doing good things into heaven. So when Jesus finally answers the guy's questions, he does so in the young man's own terms, using his own measuring stick for what he thinks is good. So he says, okay, okay. And this is just me Dannyizing this, right? You wanna know what good thing to do? Okay. I want you to go sell all that you have. You're a rich man. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And that way you'll lay up treasures in heaven and then follow me. That's what he says. And it says the man thinks about it and he turns around and he walks away, shaking his head. And it says that he's sorrowful. But the real word is grieved. He's so grieved by the fact that he cannot do what Jesus has asked him to do. His wealth and his own personal piety, his, his goodness is his identity. And he cannot walk away from his carefully constructed identity that he's made for years. See, the truth is, of course, he couldn't do that because he didn't know God. He was following the rules, but he had no relationship with God. Nobody can do good, like, like be good, apart from having a real abiding relationship with God. Paul says in Romans 3.12, he says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Apart from God at work in our hearts and life. It's impossible for us to become good. Trying to, and this is my story. I'm gonna tell you my story, okay? Because I grew up in a tradition religiously that was powerful in so very many ways. But also it had a, a, a pile of rules and lists of things that we were to do and, and not to do. And, and, and what I found is that it's exhausting. Trying to do good over a lifetime without first being good will leave you lifeless and hopeless and exhausted and, and insecure and doubting. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I okay? Am I going to heaven? Am 
I not going to heaven? First, Peter says, be good. And the only way to do that is to participate in the divine nature to receive the love of the only one who is good, God. So that's goodness. And then he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to a how-to in just a minute. But then he says to add to goodness so, so it's faith, everybody with me? It's faith is the foundation. I add goodness to my faith. And then he says to add, to stack up knowledge on top of, on top of goodness. Right? But what knowledge do we need to know? Come on, y'all remember in high school, college, those of you who are, who are in college or went to college, do you remember when they, the professor would say, you know, this week is a, there's a test and what do we ask him? What do we need to know? Right, come on, y'all know what I'm saying? What do we need to know? Because I ain't looking at this whole book this week, bruh. Right? Just give me some bullet points, right? Give me some, give me some cliff notes. Come on, y'all right? You with me on this? I ain't reading that whole book. What do I need to know? Right? That's what we always want to know. And that's how it is with this. Like, okay, if I'm supposed to add knowledge, what do I need to know? Right? I, I think it's um, really interesting that knowledge comes after goodness. That it gets stacked on top of goodness. I, I think that goodness become, comes before knowledge for the simple reason that knowledge, like, 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 I don't know if you've been snorkeling in the Caribbean lately, but if you have, it's been a minute for me, there's all these lionfish, they call them scorpion fish. Um, they're, they're floating around, they have spikes, they're gorgeous, but they have a toxin inside of them. That's very dangerous. And knowledge has a toxin lurking in it. It's called pride. Knowledge without goodness becomes dangerous. Without building it on goodness, we can be tempted to become know-it-alls and spiritual bullies, and I've met them. I've been around them. We, we can use knowledge as a way of trying to impress others or as a weapon to try to humiliate, intimidate, or manipulate others. We've seen this. Religion does this, y'all. It does this. And so God has prescribed knowledge for sure, but only when it's built on a foundation of faith and goodness so that it becomes a tool to build others up uh, to serve others who need to know what we've learned. And so here's what Paul says about knowledge in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. He says, we know, uh, or 8 rather, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge, what? Puffs up while love builds up. Right? So knowledge alone generally puffs up the cranium. Come on, somebody. Right? Goodness detoxifies knowledge and allows love to build up what we've learned. Right? So, so goodness makes knowledge helpful rather than impressive. You with me? Right? Because a big head on a, on a small soul is just ugly. Tweet that out. Hashtag tweet. Right? And, and I've seen it over and over again. People who study the Bible merely for the sake of knowledge to tend to develop an arrogance over time. They tend to become unteachable and unhelpful. And so Peter then says, I want you to add knowledge. In fact, he uses the word knowledge four times in the first eight verses that we've studied here. First occurrence, 2 Peter chapter 1, grace and peace. Anybody use some more of that? Grace and peace be yours in abundance or multiplied. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, right? So, so, so grace and peace comes through uh, knowledge, meaning Ignorance is not bliss, right? In fact, it often, ignorance is often devoid of grace and peace. Yes or no, right? We've seen that in, at work in our world. The, the second occurrence of the, world, the word is, is in verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness 
through our knowledge of him. How, does, how, does, how do we get everything we need for life? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and God. Has, how does it come to us? Through our knowledge of him. In both occurrences, the most important word, I think, is this preposition right here, through. So it's like, it's like I have a glass and I have a straw and, I, and, I, and, and the straw is knowledge and it becomes then, it's more, it's more knowledge is more conduit than it is content, right? It's more, uh, uh, it's more medium than substance, meaning, meaning knowledge is most importantly simply a means by which God gets his godly treasures that we're reading about here through to us. Knowledge is a means to an end, but when it becomes the end and in and of itself, it almost always becomes toxic. Okay, Danny, right, we got it, we got it, we got it. What do we need to know? Come on, y'all, this right. What do we need to know? Like if I'm gonna add this, if it's gonna help me develop a fail-proof faith, what do I need to know? And, and the answer is simple, we need to know him. That's what it says. Three times, Peter says that the object of our knowledge is he says in verse two, we have to have a knowledge of our three, we have to have knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse three, knowledge of him. Verse eight, knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's personal. We're not, we're not just meant to know something. We're meant to know someone. It's relational knowledge, which we talked about last week. Because knowing about someone is different than knowing, knowing someone. Like I've been married to that girl right over there for 24 years and I know her now but I'm telling you, I learn new things about her all the time. And the goal of the li- my life then is to just get to know her more and more and more all through my life. But I know her. I don't know just about her. I know her now after all this time. So, so the knowledge P- Peter is speaking about here is not just what we need to know. It's who we need to know. In fact, Paul says in Romans or Philippians 3 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. But notice this, he says, I want to know him. And the word is intimate. I want, to, I, I want relationship with him. Paul knows more than anybody does outside of Jesus. He knows, he knows, he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament and yet his heart's cry all the way to the end was that I may just know him more and more and more. But, but, but I also don't want to lower the bar when it comes to knowing about him because doctrine and theology and creed and history are so very important. But they serve, they serve, listen, they serve as conduits to knowing God more and more. So, so the Bible has one word to describe this knowing, and it's truth. And truth is the sum total of all the things that we need to know about. And by the way, Jesus says that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. It's always coming back to knowing Jesus. So, see, what you know about God is either true or it's not. And, and when it's true, it becomes a pathway, a conduit to knowing him more. And when it's wrong, when what you know about God is wrong, it gets in the way of knowing him. And that's what happened with the rich young ruler, right? We get all these bad ideas about who God is, and so they shape the way we think about him. They shape the way we feel about him, the way we interact with him. Incorrect views of God is is uh, of who God is and how he interacts with humanity has caused so much dysfunction in Christianity today. We need to know who he is. So 1 Corinthians, again, 8, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever, and here's the takeaway, here's the key, but whoever loves God is known by God. So, so a lot of Bible study, scholars will will we'll seek to study God without having God study them. And I need to be studied 
by God. God's not a frog that I put up on a shelf and cut him open to study him, right? Like, I need to learn. See, see, the, the reason that it's important that we are known by God is because the most terrifying words in all the Bible is Jesus saying, I never knew you. The most comforting words in all of the Bible are, are found in Jeremiah 1 and 5. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So, but whoever loves God is known by God. That loving God is how we are known by God and God knows us. And, and I will tell you that knowledge generally comes through love. That's why the people who are often most Christ-like are the least professor-like. Right? It's about relational knowledge. So, so what effort, I'm done here. What, what effort can we make to add goodness and knowledge to our faith? Many things. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you two. First and, the first and basic source of knowledge and and how we, we come to know God so that goodness becomes part of our life is through, 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 through the scripture. God is revealed to us in, in his word. This is why I'm telling you, you don't have to have a degree to come to know what I'm telling you today. You don't need that. You, you, could, you, could it help you? Of course it could. I'm saying that you go to the scriptures and you go, well, I don't know how to read the Bible. Like, like there are so many tools out there. There are so many great teachers of God's word. Like there are some people that are super next level at teaching God's word, right? And I can learn from them and I can, and I can grow and I can read the scriptures and I can, I can use the tools out there. God is revealed in scripture. His, this Bible is God's love letter to his people. But here's the thing. If I don't see it like that way, I won't take, I won't read it like that. I won't come to the scriptures to, to find answers. So the reason that we master the text is not just so we can have knowledge, so we can say, look how smart I am. We master the text so that we can meet God and we can learn from him and we can be known by him. God is revealed in scripture, but he's not also, he's not bound there. Just meaning that God speaks to us individually. God moves in our midst. Why do we gather in a room? Why do we need to do this? Anybody can watch anything in any church now in America online. Why do we come here? It's not just for information because I can get information anywhere. It's for transformation. That, 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 that we are not to give up meeting together, Hebrews says, to gathering together because together we are, we are ushering God's presence in the room when we worship and we, 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 the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people and that he comes close to those who are contrite in spirit. So, so secondly, we become a true worshiper. Jesus at the woman at the well says that there's a time coming when the, when the father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth with their, with their emotions and with their intellect. Both. And now, we're not called to become better philanthropists or better activists or better servants. We may, that may come down the road, but first we are called to be better worshipers. And worship is not a spectator sport. It's what we do from our hearts. And now here's why this all matters. Okay, I'm done right here. Ish. Come on, ish. <laughs> totally ish. Anyways, um, we become like what we worship. Now you're like, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you. The word worship means, wor from the Old English, means worth-ship, whatever you would ascribe worth to. So you could say, I'm not a worshiper. I don't even know, I don't even know if I believe in God. I'm not even sure yet if I know anything about it. I don't, I don't even want to become that. No, no, no. Here's what I'm telling you. Everyone on this planet ascribes worth to something. 
Something plays the highest role in their life. Could be money, could be fortune, could be fame, could be career, could be their image, could be their selfies. Come on, y'all. Could be vacations, whatever it is. Everybody worships something. So we can't say I'm not a worshiper or I am a worshiper. No, no, everybody's a worshiper because everybody ascribes worth to. We begin to reflect what it is we value most, what it is we worship. Because whatever we value the most starts to consume our time, our talent, our thoughts, our energy. And whatever we are most passionate about ultimately starts to shape our lives. And so, so if it consumes your passions, your money, your energy, your time, then it consumes you. And whatever consumes you starts to conform you. And whatever conforms you determines the destiny of your life. So Psalm 115, the psalmist starts saying, not to us, not to us, but to your name, O Lord, is all praise. And he says, why do the nations ask us, where is your God? And, and the response is, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he wants. Your gods, they're silver and they're gold and they were made by your hands. He starts talking about the foolishness of idolatry, the foolish of having anything above God, which is not just a statue or an idol or a thing on a wall. Everybody has something of highest value, yes or no. He says, your gods, you made them by your own hands and they have eyes, but they can't see and they have ears, they can't hear, they have mouths, they can't speak. They, they, they don't know any words. You can call on them all day and night, but you're not gonna find them. And he says, verse eight, verse eight, he says, and those who make them will become like them. And so will all who put their trust or their hope or their faith in them. So, so we were made in the image of God, the Imago Dei is called. We were made in the image of God. So what happens is as, we're, as we worship him and as we celebrate and focus on his character, his attributes, his goodness, his holiness, so that we're sitting here in a, in a moment of prayer in, in this place and we're going, God, I worship you. And I declare your greatness and I declare your glory. And I think about the fact that you are, the Bible says that you are slow to anger and you're all, but you're always abounding in mercy and that, that your anger lasts a moment, but, but your favor lasts a lifetime. And I think of your greatness and your majesty and your goodness. And I think about how long you, how patient you are, how long you've, you've had mercy on me, a sinner. God, I can't quite get it right, but I thank you for your goodness and your mercies and, and your kindness. And as I do this, something starts to happen inside of me over time, over time. So that Paul says in, in Corinthians, he says, and we all who are with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory. All of us are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. So, so, so last thing, ish, when, when, when the disciples begin to follow, when Peter began to follow Jesus, if you read through the gospels, they start traveling with him. They, they listen to him and, 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 and they're following Jesus, but they're not yet followers of Jesus, meaning they're not, they're not convinced yet. It wasn't until in John's gospel that they saw Jesus turn the water into wine that they, it says that then in that moment, they put their faith in him. They had faith in Jesus, but something happened over the next three years. They traveled with him. They listened to him. They heard his words, they saw how he loved, how he cared, how he interacted with people. Something began to change inside of them over time. To the extent that at one point he asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So that by the time the book of Acts is rolled up, they had moved from having faith in Jesus to having the faith of Jesus.
So, so the way things looked to Jesus began to be the way things looked to them. What they saw Jesus do, they thought, hey, we can do that too. He said we could. What broke the heart of God began to break their hearts. And so they said, whatever it costs, whatever I have to do, I will follow Jesus with my life. I will be, live my life in service to him. But how does this transformation happening from follower of to trust in and from trust and faith in to having the faith of, how does that happen? Proximity to Jesus. In his word, they're, they're hearing him speak. They're following and they're seeing him move. They're seeing how he's treating them. They're seeing how he's kind to other people. They're seeing his goodness emanating. He's touching people that no one else will touch. They're watching that. And over time, over time, over time, they transform from just merely people going, I don't know about this guy, to you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We are made by God and we were made for God. And we find our home in God. And apart from him, we will always be wandering and never arriving. But when we find God, we, we begin to know God. First Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? Why is all this true? So that or that you may declare the praises of, of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This word, declare the praises of him, is arete theos. Arete, goodness, intrinsic, essential goodness. That, that our life's ambition, the reason that we're chosen, royal, holy, belonging to God, is so that we would declare the intrinsic goodness of God the rest of our lives. Become a worshiper, and over time, transformed day by day, into his image, into his likeness, and we develop a fail-proof faith. Amen. So Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for the writings of Peter, Paul, that we've looked at today. God, I just pray that wherever my words have failed, and I'm sure they have, God, that your spirit would do in one moment what none of us could ever do in a million lifetimes. God, that there are people who are feeling trapped and stuck and hurt and hopeless and helpless, feeling like they can't move forward because they keep doing or keep not doing or whatever it is because they've, they've thought of themselves like that rich young ruler, what do I have to do? And I just pray that they would realize what, all, what has already been done for them, that when you said it is finished on that cross, it was finished. The work was done. Now we access it by faith, God. Now we, we confess that by faith, that we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess that with our mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ask him to come and, and make himself at home, to, to, to imprint the divine nature on us. Come live in our hearts, God, by faith. And God, as you do this, as you save us, as you make us right through, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we would come to grow and come to know you in increasing measure, day after day, week after week, not always perfect, not always right, not always getting it perfect every time, but God, just day by day when we get back up, we're going out and we're getting back on the horse, God, and we're just saying, Lord, help us, help us increase our faith, I pray. 
God, I pray this over every person here in this room, every person listening, watching online, on YouTube, or on our website, wherever they're at, on a podcast. Help them, strengthen them, bless them, give them a conviction that you are who you said you are and that you can do what you said you can do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand, would you? God bless you. Thank you guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.